You're listening to Footy Flicks on Radio Thamesmead, the show where three boys who know nothing about film and even less about football review some of the most well-known flicks made about the beautiful game. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of Footy Flicks. It is the greatest show to come out of Radio Thamesmead. What other shows have there been, you ask? I have no idea. I'm Lewis. Today with me, I've got Carlos and Joe. Say a little uh, hello, boys. Hello, boys. Hello, listeners. I'm Joe. Yeah, that's all they do, really need to know, isn't that's it? That's all they need to know. Joe's the voice of the producer as well, so you might have heard of, uh, him, him chatting at the start. Yeah, hello, listeners, to the audience out there. Hope you're having a great day. All right, actually, yeah, on that, what have you boys been up to today then, before you made your way down to our deluxe recording studio? So I had a pretty pleasant day at school, I suppose. Nice early finish. Um, had a nice cycle home in the sun. Joe's not 15, by the way. He works at a school. He doesn't go there. <laughs> He's been revising for his GCSE <laughs> biology. But yeah, got home, had a uh, relaxed afternoon and looking forward to, to the weekend. <laughs> Hello. All right. What about you, Carlos? What have you been doing today? I've been soaking up the beautiful sunshine of unemployment. <laughs> I did actually do a little... Uh, what's it called again safeguarding test for children today so if you guys need to talk to me i'm on hand i know how to deal with your issues oh everything's got quite serious all of a sudden <laughs> as we said uh we're footy flicks and we are discussing footballing films today we're talking about hooliganism as a genre of footballing films obviously it's quite a common one it's one that comes up quite a lot and the films we're talking about today in green street and the football factory are ones that people that don't follow football may well have watched anyway because they're kind of cult classics in their own right but in terms of the genre of hooliganism just to let you know Two of us support Arsenal, and one is more of a rugby kind of guy. <laughs> okay, just for the record, I'm a Manchester United supporter. <laughs> Said with all the enthusiasm of someone who's a United supporter these days. <laughs> yeah, so if you do sense any kind of animosity or bullying, um, then you know why. Yeah. Um, so in terms of hooliganism, obviously we're just a paint the scene. We're quite young. So um, in terms of when hooliganism is really about, none of us have any actual experience of it. So we can't obviously talk from the standpoint of someone who's really been caught up in some of the terror that it created. But we have got some little run-ins. I know that personally I was stood... Uh, in the Arsenal end at uh, Chelsea away watching us lose 6-0 on our Sens of game which is a, just a brilliant day and watched some real broads come on the train on the way home but that's pretty much as close as I've got to all the madness how did madness. that make you feel? how did that make me feel? <laughs> using his training already um, it made me feel threatened and it made me feel like I really couldn't look after myself if it came down to it but that's no, neither here nor there what about you Carlos? you ever had any run-ins? Uh, I actually have I remember going to Bayern Munich well, a long time ago now, and I saw a few German fans running down the road, and one of them shouted out, All the gunners are runners. <laughs> so he'd obviously been watching a bit too much Green Street and thought he, thought he was a hard man, thought he could take on the world. <laughs> and then another one I saw, which was a bit more dark, was Highbury again. It's better not be too dark. No, it wasn't too dark. He, he did survive. But, um, <laughs> At Highbury, I saw it was actually against United, Joe. What your people have done, but uh, a guy, <laughs> not his people, his people are based at Twickenham. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a guy get uh, quite badly beaten up, and he wasn't in a firm, so it was pretty out of line from the United boys. Yeah, that is out of line, actually. I don't have a word with him, um, but anyway, yeah, so that's a little bit of a just an acknowledgement that we know absolutely nothing about what we're talking about, but. In terms of hooliganism as an actual subject matter, what do we know about that? Well, we all know that as fans born in the 90s, as Lewis has said, we haven't really seen it. We have seen it, but we weren't in it in the same way that our parents saw it back in the 80s and 90s. And the films we're talking about today definitely hark back to the days when it was running football in Britain. Mm. And nowadays we see more like Russia and the Eastern Europeans taking over the mantle and they've got professional hooligans out there. Yeah, actually, that's my only little reference is that 
when uh, the Euros were in France, me and two of our other mates who aren't actually here at the moment, we went out there to kind of just because it was only in France, so we may as well go and watch some football. And we were in Marseille, fortunately, like a week after it had all actually kicked off. And to be fair, the tension was really in the air. And we're all three... I mean, we're really not out to cause any trouble. And we were turned away from going into every like pub and club that we could try and get into because of our English accents. So I suppose in that way, there's a little bit of a reference. But um, what actually went down in the 80s then, Carlos? So, I mean, for a lot of people, it was seen as like a release and that gang mentality of being in a firm. They wouldn't like me saying gang. But it did get to a point where it all got a bit on top and a bit dark and very nasty. Uh, you had a lot of racism going on with the first black players in England. You had the rise of the National Front and it all ended up with Thatcher setting up a war cabinet in 1985 to try and counter football hooliganism. But apart from the seriousness, and we know people died, so we're not really here to take the piss out of something so seriously. But mm. on a lighter note, the point of the show is to talk about some of the films like Green Street and, and The Football Factory. Oh, what films? Are <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> and, and talk about how they show the issues we've been talking about and how we felt about it and how it reacts with what we've actually seen in reality. All right. Well, let's get straight into it then. Should we discuss Green Street first? Yeah, um, let's go ahead with that then. What a... So can I actually just go back to what you said um, about hooliganism appearing mainly in Eastern Europe yeah, at the on. moment? Um, and uh, we're recording on Friday, basically England are playing Croatia right now in a stadium which is empty oh. because of sanctions placed on the home side. I read so yeah, it can be horrific. Online um, about this stadium, and basically there's a, there's a cage put in especially for specific derbies. Ooh. So I think it obviously. I bet gets... it makes a good atmosphere though, don't it? <laughs> <laughs> One thing we've seriously kissed goodbye to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's get into it with Green Street then, shall we? Um, I think we the best way to go about this is if we just go around and give a little review each, and then we can rip the <laughs> out of the state of this film. <laughs> so, Carlos, if you want to... Not to give any spoilers. Yeah, not to give any spoilers away. Unbelievable <laughs> bit of cinematic display. Carlos, what have you got to say about it? All right, you know what? From what I'd heard about Green Street when I was younger, every part of me wanted to hate the film before I watched it. <laughs> I started watching it, and I could say the first scene was my least favourite by far when I saw... What's his name? Frodo Baggins. Not even Frodo Baggins. Not the first scene. So the first time we saw hooliganism. What's his name? Jack Dunham. Oh, the one that... Yeah, the film kicks off with someone getting into a fight at Bank Station. Which actually... Is in Bank Station. It's East Finchley. East Finchley. East Finchley Station for some reason. And this is... Sorry, Guardian readers wouldn't like that. This this is another thing I noticed... um, Bank Station appears twice yeah. in this film, and it's not the same stage. Yeah, so I know. The that. bank sign appears twice yeah. in this film, and it's very and much not. To the give same a little, uh, to give a little taste of just how great the film is, just after the opening scene where Bank Station displays, mostly they get into a fight with some other fans. Where they might be, is it? Spurs it's fans. West Ham, Tottenham. West Ham, Tottenham. They get into a fight, and someone gets hit so hard that a telephone box falls over. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm proper enjoying anyway sorry I butted in on you then Carlos yeah, it's all good but yeah I wanted to hate it and then I saw the scene with I think his name's Jack Dunham can we confirm that which the, lead, the leader of the West Ham firm oh <laughs> something, so, like this. something like that that doesn't need to be known yeah he's irrelevant really even though he's the main character in the whole <laughs> that's film. all you need to know it's, but no it's Pete Dunham Pete, Pete Dunham, Dunham. Name. yeah little Petey Petey that's what he's called but I saw him and I heard the accent and I thought, <laughs> is this actually going to go, are they going to go through with this fake Cockney accent? Can they do this to me? And they, it turned out they did. So for the first half an hour, even though I wanted to hate it, it was so funny because I realised they were going to go through with it. That yeah. I was actually really entertained. Yeah, no, he goes, um, <laughs> he goes, so... Uh, well, are we? My <laughs> colonial cousin. <laughs> and just to confirm, is this actor? I mean, he sounds like he's actually from like Las Vegas or something. Is he a Where's he actually yeah. from? Yeah, he's a Jordan. So, 
I thought he was he was American. Yeah, so do and I. Then, and then I realised my thought about him was about halfway through was he seemed like some type of Danish guy who was on an acid trip in London <laughs> and thought he was leading a firm and this and we were inside his trip. That's what it felt like to me. That's how bad his accent was. But it turns out he's a Geordie, which makes me which made me question the film even more because yeah. You've come all the way to England. The, the the director's a German woman called Lexi Alexander, Alexander, I think. But she's come all the way to England to make a film about it about Cockney firms, <laughs> and she got someone from Newcastle. Yeah. So that was the first oversight for me. Yeah, the first of many many hurdles that this film fails to uh, fails to clear. Um, but if I give you my final final review, yeah, it was. Uh, Basically, I got about 50 minutes in and I just couldn't do it anymore. So I went <laughs> and my, made here? myself my signature dish. <laughs> I'm not even going to reveal what that is. <laughs> and uh, I had to come back and just w- watch it through. I don't even know how yeah. I watched the yeah. last bit. It does to, that to you. find out what Carlos' signature dish is, <laughs> tune into episode two. Yeah, <laughs> that'll keep him locked and loaded. Um, all right, yeah, no, I actually, yeah, Joe. What about you? Um, so, I mean, yeah, kind of echoing what Carlos said, I honestly don't really have anything good to say about this film, <laughs> apart from the fact that it was so bad that it also made, it kind of made it good. It was entertaining. It w- it did make it entertaining, but very much laughing at the film, I yeah. repeat, at the film and not with the film. Yeah. Um, I thought the plot was... Actually, just give a little rundown of what the plot was, because some people listening might have seen the film years ago and not. Okay, really. so um, Matt, who is played by Elijah Wood, is a Harvard. That's Frodo journal. Baggins, we by the way. We haven't got onto Frodo yet. Yeah, yeah the so, fact yeah. that Frodo Baggins is in this film is just yeah, says everything yeah, yeah. you need to know about a film that needs to be laughed at and not with. Um, so he is a Harvard journalism student who um, lives don't like journos, Joe. <laughs> Yeah, the undercurrent of the whole film is uh, basically it comes down to the fact that for some reason the firms, well not for some reason it kind of makes sense, but absolutely hate journalists so therefore he has to hide the fact that he once used to study to be a journalist Yeah, <laughs> um, and that's kind of like the uh, undertone of the whole film, but yeah, yeah. So saying? he's wrongly expelled from Harvard two months shy of his diploma and he's paid $10,000 by his uh, housemate who had this coke addiction (laughs) and he uses this money to travel to London to meet his sister who is married into um, the West Ham firm one thing leads to another sorry can I just quickly butt in there that when he supposedly turns up at the West Ham firm, he's got he walks into one of the nicest houses in West London, <laughs> and then he's stro- about a minute later he strolls from there to being at Green Street outside Upton Park. Yeah, but um, um, that's neither here nor there. There's a, a enormous amount of issues with this plot. I found the problem <laughs> with this film is that. Uh, it started out as like an American guy coming over to England being shown football and it's all upbeat and quite funny and it knows it's kind of bad at that point yeah. and then it starts getting serious Yeah. and what you quickly realise is it's a film directed by a German with an, an American, American lead actor and it's basically for people who haven't grown up in British football who are just starting to get into football with like the MLS and stuff like that and it's it's all the stereotypes and them looking in on us and it's like a <laughs> fantasy action drama but it should just be a comedy yeah, yeah it's good, so true even when one of them walks into a pub and shouts it's football day literally nobody, no one has ever said, said like, football day is not a thing it's just yeah. not a thing anyway I'm gonna um ask you for your just initial uh, like scores out of 10 of the film and I'll, I want to run through why I thought it was so awful Joe what was your score? 3 that might even be a little bit yeah I reckon that's been quite kind I rarely find films genuinely cringeworthy but mm. I 
cringe on <laughs> several occasions at this film. So yeah. Yeah, it's that rating. kind of thing. Carlos, what's your score? You know what? Just to be different to Joe, I was going to say three, but I'll give four from the fact that I did genuinely laugh out loud a lot of times. <laughs> my my favourite line from the whole film and the bit that just had me in fits was the Cockney accent he put on <laughs> when he says, There's two words that strike fear into any hammer. United away. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that was a highlight. I was going to actually kind of partially agree with what you first said, Carlos, in that I went into this, basically I first watched this film years ago and then obviously went back to rewatch it before the show. And I first went into it thinking, this is awful, this is horrible, and I'm not like associating with any characters, I don't really see the point, I know what the plot's going to be, you can tell how it's going to end before it started. But I did enjoy it. I actually did. I liked it. I kind of partially fell in love with basically one of like the West Ham firm crew is a bloke who has a massive just like film length breakdown. Um, who's like kind of the nuttiest one. I was worried like, about what you were going to say there. <laughs> he's like the nuttiest one and he's friends with the person that leads it. He's kind of like the right hand man of the person that leads it. And What's he's his just, name? His name's awful as well. no idea. Like, on my note, I'll Bob, put it this way. Bob, on my note Bob, sheets, Bob, Bob. on my note sheet, I had him saved down as nutter one who's actually quite a good actor. And that was my, that was going to be my point. I thought he was actually quite good. And I actually associated slash got sl- fairly emotionally invested in him, like fully losing the plot. Yeah. So I wasn't expecting to do that while I watched the film. Um, I'd just like to come in and kind of echo that point. I also wrote down um, on my note sheet that he yeah. definitely had the best performance as well as the, I'd say the, the head of the Millwall firm. Yeah, I've got him marked Those down, Tommy Atcher. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, a name. I, what I thought this film was particularly bad at was actually capturing um, the true nature of like a group of football hooligans mm. which is essentially what the premise of the film was um, and he was the only one who I thought really kind of reflected kind of, the reality yeah, reflected in some like way really volatile unpredictable character mm. which I think is yeah some of them were presented as being just kind of harmless and sweet and really friendly friendly, when in reality kind of yeah they were when reality not even that people in real life who do that can't also be just like like genuine nice people but in reality the film was supposed to reflect people that were massively volatile and aggressive doing something that none of us would ever dream of doing but in actual fact for some reason pretty much all of them bar this one bloke that we quite liked were kind of cuddly nice friendly and yeah. welcoming they seemed what? like guys who had a laugh down the pub yeah went to watch the football got in a fight on the way home but went to the pub after the fight <laughs> and yeah did the I same think thing i actually kind of disagree because i think that in some way they picked up on the fact that a lot of people did have normal jobs and a pretty run-of-the-mill life and they went out to football on the weekend and then mm. they all released it all and that was that was where the violence was kind of their their way out from a mundane life but the one thing i saw where what i saw about this film was it was trying to harness that thing of people living a normal life and using violence to kind of be their themselves and it, it was a lot like fight club and what I thought was the guy Pete Dunham mm. was like the most budget uh, Brad Pitt in Fight Club <laughs> even in the way he looked yeah he, he, he was so modelled off of that type of character like the kind of sexy ruthless fighting guy but he's actually a nice guy and then Frodo was a bit like um, what's his name the actor in Fight Club uh, what's his name Norton Edward Norton. Edward Norton. Edward Norton. Didn't even, didn't even get to... <laughs> we don't search. need Google. We don't need Google. But uh, he reminded me of Edward Norton, who was just a normal guy and got let off the hook by fighting a little mm. bit. But that's what I thought was a budget Fight Club theme going on as well. Yeah, I agree. But again, I it off. But I quite enjoyed the part at the very end 
basically it circles round and at the end he then kind of gets the comeuppance on the bloke that was the reason why he got kicked out of Harvard and for that bit I kind of felt myself slipping into the like oh yeah like just get, get him just like <laughs> bang him up a bit so I, I, I think maybe even I'm the mug or the film is but I actually kind of got involved with it so what's your rating for it? my rating for it uh, I I I'm just gonna give it a standard five. A five. A standard five, yeah. Yeah. I did. I I was entertained. I think I was really entertained up until United away, and then <laughs> when they jump out the back of a van. Yeah. After United away, it got too silly, and at the same time, got really serious. Yeah. And as soon as it got, because at the start. When he when he takes him to the West Ham game, it's got real West Ham footage. Yeah, and as a football fan, I loved that because oh. it was it kind of took me to what a game day was like when I was a little boy. Can I just say that it made me miss Upton Park so much? Yeah, honestly, it brought it brought that nostalgia back, oh, which is I why really I liked also, it. So, one thing I did like about this film was that they actually filmed at an actual match. Yeah, yeah exactly. You saw Bobby Zamora. <laughs> Marlon Hellwood, massive feature. And later on in the film, it actually highlighted this. But usually, footage of live football, like in a film, is mm. trash. Like yeah. when they're trying to get in, like down at foot level, and yeah. trying to get people kind of um, bobbing and weaving and whatever. Um, it's rubbish, and that was highlighted later in the film when they had that scene with the little kids. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the only good thing about that is they were all wearing predators. You know yeah, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. The predators, <laughs> I, I the knew, predators had me in tears. The predators, yeah. had, the predators in Upton Park. They were so bring good. back yeah. whatever. And those kids were know, genuine ballers as well. Yeah, they were good at football. Yeah, but you know those scenes where you have like a goal peep, goalkeeper doing a dive <laughs> and the ball's just flying in yeah when the director's obviously just shouted alright dive now <laughs> it's meant to be a game then you've like got, Adam the runners just lobbing a ball in the net you've got a kid who's like in 30 yards of space got time to do a bicycle kick straight into the top corner like nah <laughs> so as we were said actually I wanted to pick up on as you said the film suddenly turns really serious. Yeah, and that's where that's why I started hating it. Yeah, and that's when I went and made my signature dish. Don't, right, don't give all your facts away. We've got episode two to sell first. But uh, I thought, and this is actually one of the downfalls of the film, is the way that women are reflected in it. Obviously, it's a film about like a bunch of like macho, aggressive men. You're not expecting it to be anything other than that. But the female character and the lack of any actual female characters in it at all which I think would have actually added a proper nice dimension and showing the characters in more of like a three dimensional way instead of just literally being always like aggressive with other men but the only woman that was in it um, I think actually had a breakdown in every single scene which added so much like unnecessary seriousness to all of it I mean in actual fact I thought that she could have been the character that kind of pinned up the film and kept everyone in check because she seemed to be the only one with any actual head on her shoulders and keeping her like brother in check but instead I don't know I just feel like she was really she got a really raw deal out of what she could have been in the film what, what do you think about that? I just think that you're thinking about the film in a lot deeper in a in much more of a deep way than the director even did and that's the problem with <laughs> because she's just a tool there she's a good looking woman mm. who's married an ex-firm guy and she's an american in london she's looking at it from the outside mm. in. she's like headless chicken involved in all the violence yeah. and that's for the american crowd who are like oh my god look at what they're doing in england yeah 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 and she was like the mouthpiece for the viewer who had no idea about football yeah for the for the female viewer in america what they're assuming the female viewer in america would be thinking about football just just clueless really yeah and it yeah it was terrible portrayal and then kind of as the cherry on top she's made to look like an absolute fool in the last scene but hang on can we just speak about this last the scene music. everything Go. about it let me pull up the music from the last scene <laughs> <laughs> alright Carlos is um, Carlos has gone away to try and pull up the music from the last scene but basically 
the <laughs> the last scene is a mass battle, like a Spartan level battle of um Mill and West Ham all like converge on like the Isle of Dogs basically and have a massive battle. I mean no spoilers, but the main character then ends up like dying while saving Frodo Baggins. No, and this is all because the wife um <laughs> just rocked up in her land room <laughs> to, to chase down Frodo Baggins who was meant to get on a baby. plane with her back to Boston. <laughs> um but he's decided that he wants to come in and join in this fight. And um, again, by the way, he ran all the way from West London to the Isle of Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, Carlos has managed to get hold of the <laughs> the song from the end of the film. The rape, the rape, yeah. <laughs> we try hard. That's just a taste of what you're hearing whilst you're seeing <laughs> men headbutting absolute life out of each other. We we can discuss the music a bit um, in depth later, maybe. Yeah. But another horrendous song choice. Yeah. Was. <laughs> After they stitched up the United fans outside the station, yeah, and they like went and did that stage like yeah. when they're all in like a in, like, yeah a group, yeah, it's really shocking. But then they played like a Nirvana song, yeah. So, uh, really stood out to me as like a you have no idea what you're doing decision like truly awful decision I thought the music generally was actually really awful yep. it was really shown up by Football Factory mm. which I thought had yeah. a really really good almost really good train spot in levels yeah, yeah a proper almost. gritty English film but we'll get into that in a second so has anyone got any positives or funny little like quotes that they remember or any funny moments in general just to sign off with some positive about the car crash that was green street carlos you've usually got a funny take on something you know what (laughs) i've given all i can to green street I think when did this film come out? Have we even said something that? like two thousand and four? It was two two thousand and five. Two thousand five. Actually, came out after Football Factory. Believe it or not. Wow. Oh, which is because <laughs> I feel like um, I remember being ten years old and yeah. people talking about Green Street and obviously on a playground topic as a year four people who had been allowed to watch Green Street were obviously raving about it because it's such a violent yeah when you're a kid there's nothing yeah, better than Green Street really be watching. so I had remembered it as a classic <laughs> it through a 10 year old's eyes but I would say it's pretty entertaining but don't bother yeah really don't I've got a a good quote Ooh, which really, hello. really made me chuckle <laughs> so this is after they stitch up the United fans outside the station in Manchester Yeah, they do that stupid pose <laughs> it's so bad like a b-boy crew the <laughs> song then starts playing and then Frodo Baggins comes in and he says we could have died that day in Manchester everybody knew it but we didn't I said later that day that the story travelled across England faster than the death of Lady Di. <laughs> the GSC were finally back. <laughs> and this was after... That was like, such a good impression. Like, impression. This was after si- about six or seven West Ham fans banged up about 55 old, old guys. With one eye. And I can oh. put that myself to be honest. <laughs> I have got one funny moment, but it's not about the film, it's more about me. Uh, I was watching the film the whole time. Don't give any spoilers about your uh, special dish. No, no, don't worry about that. But uh, I was watching it for the whole whole first 45 minutes thinking, oh, look at him, look at, what's he Just doing? call him Frodo. No, this is the point. Elijah Wood, I completely forgot that he was Frodo and thought he was Schmeagel. <laughs> <laughs> and I kept watching it thinking he's really releasing his in the Schmeagol right now in these yeah. scraps he, he's going for it but when I found out he was Frodo it just ruined it even more for me yeah well, Lewis um, I've just remembered two other female characters who literally appeared for a split second yeah and it 
pans to this scene at the same time as Elijah Wood says this. Okay, okay. So this was like after they just like want to fight or something like that. Yeah. And he goes, I'd never lived closer to danger, <laughs> but I'd never felt safer. I'd never felt more confident. And people could smile it from a mile away. <laughs> Meanwhile, Frodo is stood at the barge and <laughs> two girls who are all over him. And he's about, I mean, three foot five at the time. Yeah, it's gruesome in those pools, though. Also, you two aren't going to like hearing this, but I think the scene that actually made me laugh the most was your favourite character, Bobble. When he's in free, when he's in full breakdown mode. That's when he gets up. When he's in, when he's in full, <laughs> when, when he has his pie and mash in Millwall. Yeah, when he's having his pie and mash. Now, after that, he's in full breakdown mode. Two things about him, actually. One, he's always riding his motorbike at about 150 Through Blackwall hour. Tunnel. <laughs> Through Blackwall Tunnel with no other cars in it. So he's got the tunnel to himself. There's some great transition work from the director there. I'll give her that. The bit that made me laugh so much is when he's in full breakdown and he starts belting out forever blowing bubbles. I don't know a single West Ham fan who, on their lowest point, is going to start screaming out to the world that they're forever blowing bubbles. But Again, to be fair, they fair do. play to the director because he's doing that in next to Tower Bridge when no one's about which always kind of gets me... I never really understand how they managed to work that out. They buy it off. Um, yeah, my, I'm, I've, only, I've got very little else to say on this, but my favourite quote was uh, at one point... I think it might be Frodo... No, it's not Frodo. It's one of the... It might be Tommy Hatcher. Someone turns to someone else and says, I want to get pissed out me tree. <laughs> 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 which... <laughs> I, I really didn't know it was a saying. Which is uh, going to become a saying now. Which is, yeah, that's going to be a common parlance. Um, going through my notes, yeah, the only other thing that made me laugh is the fact that the entire country shut down for the FA Cup quarter final draw. <laughs> to be fair, though, moving on to Football Factory, maybe. Yeah. But just a little look forward. I feel like Green Street watched Football Factory or had done some basic research on football football firms mm. and was like, oh, the director and the writer thought, oh, the, the draw is such a big day, which is basically what you yeah. picked up on yeah. and just over-dramatised it. The way they it was crazy. overdid the FA Cup quarter-final draw. I know, I know. It was mad. Suddenly, the, like, every single workplace shut down like it was the Royal wedding to watch the FA Cup draw. Yeah, poor Millwall. <laughs> That's what I say. <laughs> um, right, I think we've said all there is to say about that. Um, so shall we move it on to the other film which we're going to compare to it of the genre is Football Factory. I think it's probably from what I've read about it and from just like speaking to people, I think it's a bit more of a cult classic for like the general film viewer um and just getting into it personally i can see why i absolutely loved it what do you reckon are we gonna do reviews then yeah 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 oh yeah we can do this first yeah we can I, am i allowed to say i liked it you can <laughs> <laughs> um i'm gonna say that I think maybe because it had more of like a British, well, I mean, the fact that Danny Dyer's the main character, if you didn't know, Danny Dyer's the main character. Um, I mean, it's, it's got a bit too like obvious to say it now, but you've just got to love Danny Dyer for a get go. So that's brilliant. Um, the fact that it's actually filmed at like Surrey Keys and Bermondsey and the final like fight scene basically both these films like mirror each other in terms of what happens and the final fight scene is actually next to the new debt like it's actually an is where it's supposed to be you can see it there when you go past it on the train now you can see the exact place that they fought in so that bit just like from a personal point of view i found quite satisfying um so yeah i think it was much nicer grittier english film kind of didn't take itself too seriously while actually doing what it set out to achieve. Um, I thought that I 
fell in love with the characters. I believed the characters. I it's the kind of film that I can feel myself now quoting for like years to come, and I think that's always the sign of a half decent film. What do you reckon, Joe? Uh, yeah, I completely agree with everything you've said. Um, I really enjoyed the way that they captured the football hooligan, the, the Chelsea football hooligan. Um, and again, I found acting really compelling. At several points during the film, I felt genuinely quite scared be kind of shouted at by um, the various members of the firm. And one thing that I actually really, really liked was the length of the film. Mm. Um, it was almost bang on an hour and a half. And not at one point throughout the film did I check to see how far I was through it. It finished kind of like in a bit of a shock way, but I absolutely loved it. I thought it was, it was just a great ending, punchy, and then it was you know it was done. Mm. It didn't. Um, there was basically no time wasted. Yeah, I I agree completely as well. After watching Green Street the day before, it was just infinitely better. Everything about it went from being. A foreign take on a British subject f- glamorised for, for, for a foreign audience to a British film about a British topic for a British audience and you could tell it was definitely way more authentic but to be honest I did love it and I'd hate to be more negative but I know I can't do better I'm not a film producer I, could, I couldn't make a good film like that it is a good film don't beat yourself down <laughs> I wish but I definitely couldn't make a good film but one thing did get me with it, it was a little bit, I found that it touched on all of those important topics, Joe, like drugs. And when, when basically Danny Dyer narrating became like this mad social commentator, like mm. he's talking about how skunks making him paranoid, how they touch on how the main guy's done too much coke and he's, gonna, he's got a bit of a screw loose now. And he's talking about like, just how life's catching up on him it touched on racism Mm. so it does touch all of these topics but the one criticism I did have was that it's not very subtle like it's not meant to be at all and that's why it is a gripping watch like I made it through this one (laughs) but in terms of all of these topics a better film would have done them without saying like right I'm Danny Dyer and now I'm talking to you about why skunk's making me paranoid. It just would have woven it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not meant to be subtle. Mm. So it was banging. I, and I think that also, like basically the, the thread of the film is that he has like a kind of existential crisis mm. slash like breakdown through the state of his life. So from that perspective, you can see why they had to make it seem quite obvious. Because obviously if it's being narrated to him, it is quite obvious the things that are going yeah, on in his life yeah. so it couldn't yeah the one the one downside that I was going to bring is that just as a personal pet fee, pet peeve I don't really like films that show you the ending at the start and then go back and like retrace their steps just because I end up spending the whole time kind of with that in the back of my head and it seems like kind of I don't really know it always it always seems like a weird decision to yeah. suddenly show you exactly what is going to happen at the what end do you, th- do you think they could have done without it completely to be honest um I can see why they did have it because it linked to the fact that he had premonitions of his own like downfall before <laughs> but I would have been very happy for the film to have started kind of at the credits and not with the little kind of premonition before that well that's what i kind of that's exactly what i was trying to get across by it not being subtle yeah i feel like they've read a textbook on how to make a film and like it's like a gcse or yeah. a level textbook on themes and foreshadowing and etc etc so where it's not very subtle is it shows you what's going to happen it's like right we're going to constantly allude to this foreshadowing. It's the sunset, like the sun sitting on Danny Dyer's time yeah. as a man in the firm. Like everything about it was, they're chucking in these things, they're kind of ramming it down our throat. Like even the parallels between him and his granddad. And I have to admit, when he ends up in hospital next to his granddad, I was like, come on, this is, this so... is a joke. It, it's been such a good film, 
and I'd hate to knock it, but that's what makes it not a great film. Yeah. Because it's just too. It needs that subtlety. Like you don't, as a viewer, you don't need to have your hand held through it mm. in that way. Although, in comparison to Green Street, the one one aspect where this just comes out miles on top is that it actually manages to sustain a subplot that I can in like some way actually care about. So like the subplot of the granddad and his friend who are kind of trying to escape it and retire to Australia and all that. As far-fetched as the whole thing was, I found myself actually really enjoying that little bit of subplot. Whereas in Green Street, every time they mentioned like the journalist dad or whatever, I just completely switched off. So yeah, that was... For that, I'd give uh, Football Factory a solid... I might just knock it out of the park and give it an 8 out of 10. Bang, bang. I probably would have given it an 8 as well. Um, what about you, Carlos? Uh, I think I'd give it a 7, but I know I'm being harsh and critical. Yeah, I. what I would say um, to your point about uh, Danny Dyer's existential crisis, I, I feel like if it was the director of Green Street directing this film, they just wouldn't have had any of that internal Danny Dyer yeah. aspect to it. I actually think it kind of placed it a bit ahead of its time. Yeah, like, like the kind like of commentary on like um, masculinity and the psychological aspect that comes with that just mm. isn't really realised, especially in what two thousand and four. And like the inability to be able to share the way that you're feeling with your peers. So there was on a couple of occasions where Danny Dyer is like clearly having a breakdown, but feels like the group of like men that he was a part of were not the kind of people that you could come to and open up about your feelings which um yeah as you said is quite a nice yeah, ahead of its time little it's touch scene, yeah, yeah there's a yeah. scene where danny dyer and the head of the firm have sex with prostitutes yeah. and then he comes outside and danny dyer wasn't able to get it up as they say. <laughs> and he doesn't he doesn't say it he doesn't say it but he um he alludes to it and the head of the firm just says, don't worry about it. I experience exactly the same kind of thing and then pops in some Viagra mm. and the rest is history. Yeah. I think that scene as well, I was just about to talk about that as well, but I feel like he's also coming out with more than the fact that he couldn't get up. He's talking yeah, about everything that. in general. He's saying like, do you ever just feel like, and he thinks they've connected but the firm geezer is more talking about not being able to yeah, get so up. Just the physical aspect. And he's trying to talk about the whole mental aspect of it. But, yeah, I think what you said, Joe, I completely agree with about it's almost ahead of its time. Or just it's doing something quite ambitious or socially conscious, conscious in touching on all of these issues. But I feel like... The reason why I'm being a bit harsh is because, yeah, it's talking about racism, drugs, violence, and all of the downsides of it. But it's doing it in such an obvious way. It's like, they've done the themes. They've shown you that he's he's having the premonitions in his dreams and his flowers and there's the billboards that are changing letters because he's just so paranoid that he's seeing things that aren't there. But then it's just constantly being shoved down your throat by Danny Dyer as a narrator. And there's one bit when he's like... He's talking about how he knows everything's going wrong and he gives a list of he's like, my dream, my billboards, my florist. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, all right, I get what you're doing. I understand that you're putting in s- themes and symbols, but we don't need Danny Dyer <laughs> ramming it down my us. florist. But, yeah, my florist. Like, <laughs> but I, I was going to ask you both a question. Yeah. Uh, have you heard the Malcolm theory about Danny Dyer? No. No. Shoot. Well... There was a theory that Danny Dyer isn't actually a Cockney geezer at all, and he's just like a middle-class, well-educated actor called Malcolm... I think it was something like Malcolm Smith. Uh, just a really generic name. And he was putting it all on to get cast in these type of roles, and it was just all one big act. If an alien was to land on planet Earth yeah. and just, just watch that, and that was their first impression of Danny Dyer, you would 100% believe that theory, I think, because that is the most over-the-top, ridiculous, like, impression you could ever get of someone. (laughs) I honestly think that. Um, Have you ever seen Human Traffic? Yes, I have. I think that was... Do you think that was, like, his first role? 
Yeah, when he's playing that role. I mean, what, he's, he's a baby. The they say when he's like in I human traffic yeah. when he's like what is, what is it like yes brother <laughs> no nice one brother yeah all of that like. I'm not I'm not buying this stuff for a second no nah, well that's the thing I have got the the punchline or the end of the story was uh, is it Keith Lemon the guy who did Bo Selector we're not what do you which Ke- one's Keith isn't Keith Lemon the one who looks like kind of a budget Richard Branson yes correct Keith Lemon is a guy who did Bo Selector, which is actually early noughties genius that's probably looked over. And he started doing more poppy shows, which were a bit awful in the last few years. But it was him who created, he started the rumour as a joke that Danny Dyer is actually some guy called, I think it was Malcolm Little or Malcolm Smith. And in my opinion, as Joe said, he, he was absolutely spot on. Like Danny Dyer is great, but he is also a bit of a donut. Well, also, another thing that would quash that theory is the fact that he would have had to keep up that act incredibly well to produce his daughter, Danny Dyer. (laughs) If you know what I mean, her accent is extreme. And for Danny Dyer Sr. or male... Male Dyer. Male Dyer. To have kept that up the whole time. I mean... I thought it was a great piece. Fair play. It fair was play. all rumour, but I think there's no better word than Bandit, really. He's just been absolutely destroyed by Keith Lemon. <laughs> and I'm not even a Keith Lemon fan, but Thank I can God for that. that theory. Um, right, I want to talk about some of my favourite quotes from the film. Yeah. I think it's unbelievable for sound bites. Um, and one of them, this is a proper niche one, but... Actually, this one isn't that niche. But when he's when um, Danny Dyer's best mate is on a date with like the kind of posh posher girl the from yeah the, the posher girl from that's, great bit of that's analysis funny from that court. Is funny the as posh well. girl is from Penn. Yeah, well, because she's wanna be posh as well. Yeah, yeah. wanna be like nouveau riche, yeah. like out nearly basically Croydon, but also not quite like Beckenham. Do you, do you reckon that's actually banter? Is that just a sign of how the times have changed? No, I think that's. I right. think that's genius. That is genius. If it is, yeah, then it's that genius. Is. Do you think only nouveau riche people say nouveau riche? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, what I was going to say was, is when he's on a date with her and he uh, obviously goes halfway through, like he's at dinner or uh, lunch with with her and her family and he goes off to the toilet and does... Like a, a copious amount of drugs and then, and then comes back absolutely like buzzing out of his chair and goes oh that espresso's really kicked in she says darling you didn't have an espresso <laughs> just to clarify was that because it's looked down on no it's because he's so flying off of this line of drugs mm. that he believes he's had an espresso no, no, no. He's saying that as like to cover up for the fact of why he's clearly like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought it was uh, saying, no, darling, you didn't have an espresso because the parents frown on him having an espresso and they'd want him to have like a no. macchiato. <laughs> what the f is a macchiato? <laughs> no, he just. He, he was so out of it, he thought he was coming up with a great excuse. Yeah. That's just the espresso. But he hadn't even had one. He's just, he's just, <laughs> he was buzzing. I, I've got a good, um, good quote. Yeah. It's from near the beginning when you're just kind of being introduced to the Danny Dyer character, whose name is, is it Tommy Johnson? Tommy Johnson. Tommy or Johnson. Dorian. Dorian. Yeah. He goes, What else are you going to do on a Saturday? Sit on your armchair. Pop idols, and then try and avoid your wife's gaze as you struggle to come to terms of your sexist marriage. Then go <laughs> your wages on kebabs and fruit machines and brasses. <laughs> that for a laugh. I know what I'd rather do. Totting them away. Bloody. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I thought. Um, there's definitely a link between Green Street and Football Factory. They yeah. both follow the same fit pattern. And weirdly enough, Tottenham Away was both the first scene, but Football Factory did it on so much better. levels yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. They actually went down to White Hart Lane and had a proper little fight, whereas they that had this fake so bank good. station in Green Street. It's just level. And the better. fact that in Green Street, like it all comes down to the fact that the brother of the person who's leading the firm now is actually like the old like major of the firm yeah, yeah. and when they show a flashback all that changes is he's got mullet. a massive mullet yeah that, that was hilarious <laughs> and for some reason 
Actually, they do this quite a lot in films when they have a flashback. It's kind of like... Uh, it looks like you're on like Call of Duty and you're about to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a favourite quote if we want to come back to Football Factory. But my favourite uh, scene at the beginning when his granddad Bill is he's having a very large, again, let's say the word drugs, a very <laughs> large... Uh, now, we'll call it a spliff. He's having a very large spliff with his old, uh, old age old friend. Uh, on 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 the balcony, and Danny dies narrating in the background while Bill is smiling off his nut. He looks absolutely gorgeous, <laughs> smiling away, high as a kite. And Bill goes, "That's what I loved about Bill. He was still game." <laughs> <laughs> I've got another. Actually, I actually for this boat deserves. Have a little mention because he's absolutely brilliant, and it's like the the nuts old leader of the Chelsea firm. He, he wishes he was leader. Yeah, he wishes he was leader. Nuts. He's had a bit too much. Child, yeah, he's apparently. had a bit too much. Um, and when at the <laughs> at the at the end of the film, he's like the hard, crazy one who like they say so they introduce him at the beginning as being like his one problem is he's literally never scared. Um, and at the end of the film he finally gets banged up and as he's in he's in court and they, on on announcing that he's got seven years he, he turns to the judge and goes I can do that standing on me <laughs> head <laughs> oh it's truly a great quote uh, for the same character I think he he has some of the most gruesome lines of violence He's got a favourite quote that he seems to say to people when he says, I'm going to open you up. I think being threatened with being being opened up, if someone said they were going to open me up, I don't know how I'd react. Mm. But also, one thing I liked about it was, the same thing that I'm saying I liked is what I criticised it for, but it was kind of nice to see Danny Dyer in this social commentator role. And I did like the one thing they did where they f- they touched on the racism and they kind of flipped it around. So they had the racist taxi taxi driver, who was always talking all of his racist nonsense, basically. And they used the old war veteran granddad mm. as the person who was too intelligent or mature for these stupid racist attitudes and a lot of the racist attitudes were meant to be protecting people of that generation who were the old British who fought for our country and I like the fact that they reversed it so they were the ones who were saying nah stop being a mug shut up with all your nonsense like yeah. we don't oh, give yeah, a damn about really race nice. yeah he comes out with the line I fought a war to stop fascist like you run our country Yeah, it's brilliant I'll tell you, that granddad is one of the great cameos. He's a great character, but I just wish it had a bit of subtlety. Shoot, <laughs> shoot me if you want, but... Yeah, it's quite a GCSE film, but a GCSE film done well. It's like one long Channel U video turned into yeah. a film. Old school, Devlin. Bring back Channel U, by the way. Yeah. So, in summary, if you're going to watch one of these films, definitely watch Football Factory. It's just far superior. Than, uh, to Green Street on so many levels mm. um, and a really really enjoyable watch so even for the non-football fans I'd say it's a really interesting a really interesting watch especially for a 2004 production mm. but yeah Football Factory is a fantastic film Green Street was a laughable attempt to capture hooliganism in British football to wrap it all up just like to say from me Carlos and Joe it's been a pleasure to have you with us on this inaugural episode of Footy Flicks and we will speak to you again soon Footy Flicks is presented by Lewis Fradstone Stubbs Carlos Casman, and me Joe Conlan I also produced and edited the show